1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on Themesh.tv. My name is Alan. Over here beside me is Chris. Hello, everyone.
2: It's Friday or at least it is for us, and I'm ready to talk about movies.
1: <laughs> yes, that sounds like a good plan for the show. Uh, this is Foot Candle Films. This is what we do is we talk about movies. We normally have uh, at least a couple of movie reviews, uh, and then we always end the show with our recommendations of the episode, something that we'd like to pull back from the vaults or think is worth you checking out to go see, either online or through some other method. But... Here's what we're going to do today is we're actually going to up the game a little bit. Okay. We're going have three reviews. See, some, a lot of times we mostly stick with two, but we've been fairly productive with our film going experiences the last few weeks. And I actually think we haven't recorded in a little bit longer period of time than we normally do. So sure. we got a little catching up to do. Um, so we're going to hit three film reviews in this episode. We're going to talk about the latest film by Paul Thomas Anderson, which is Phantom Thread, starring Daniel Day Lewis. We're also going to discuss the latest Marvel of a big feature, Black Panther, uh, directed by Ryan Coogler and starring Chadwick Boseman. Then we're going to give a third review of the film Game Night. And that is the one, the latest comedy by Jay, with Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams starring. And uh, it's the three kind of very different films to do in our review process, which will be interesting. Yeah. Then after the reviews, we'll go on and move into our recommendation where both Chris and I will bring up uh, – uh, a recommendation of a film we think is worth your time checking out online or, or however you have access to it. So, Chris, we got a lot to cover, got a lot to talk about. Why don't you say we just go ahead and jump right into our first review, if that's okay with you? Let's do it. All right, our first review, as I mentioned, Paul Thomas Anderson's latest film. He's the writer and director, and he has uh, made a film starring Daniel Day-Lewis, Vicky Cripps, and Leslie Manville. That film is Phantom Thread.
0: You can sew almost anything into the canvas of a coat. When I was a boy, I started to hide things in the linings of the garments. Things that only I knew were there. Secrets. Good morning. Will you have dinner with me?
1: Yes. Phantom Thread, Chris, is the film starring a a character called Reynolds Woodcock. Love the name, by the way. (laughs) Reynolds Woodcock, he's a renowned dressmaker back in 1950s London. And his life, his very regimented and very uh, self-prescriptive life he has, is disrupted by a young, strong-willed woman named Alma, who becomes both his muse and lover. And the film explores their relationship as well as the impact it has on his career as a dressmaker. Paul Thomas Anderson, writer and director, known to many people in the film community you know, for a lot of great films. There Will Be Blood, uh, The Master, Boogie Nights, Magnolia, Punch Drunk Love, Inherent Vice. Uh, the guy you know, is not the most uh, productive filmmaker in terms of quantity, but he does put a lot of work into his films to where almost every film he makes is a, considered pretty high quality. Normally, he's batted around Oscar time. Most of his films have had some form of Oscar recognition over the years. Phantom Thread was no exception. It was nominated for quite a few awards. Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actress, uh, Original Score, Costume, Production Design, and Director. And it won Costume. So that's the only one it came away with a win for. My question to you, Chris, is, I mean, we're, we're both very familiar with Paul Thomas Anderson's body of work. I think we've seen most all of his films, if not all of his films, between you and I uh, together. True. Where does Phantom Thread rank? Not only in Paul Thomas Anderson's body of work, but also in Mr. Daniel Day-Lewis, because according to Mr. Day-Lewis, this is his last film. Right. Did he go out on a strong note? Did Paul Thomas Anderson continue his streak of well-respected movies? Or was this one uh, a little off uh, on either of those predictions?
2: Well, you know, it's Daniel Day Lewis. He, yeah, he's always good. He's bankable. I think a lot of times with actors and directors, it's kind of what have you done for me lately type Mm -hmm. thing. Okay. So, you know, Daniel Day Lewis, if this is his last movie, I feel like he went out on top. Really? Um, Yeah. I really liked his performance and I think he did a really good job. And it wasn't actually, you know, you, he won an Oscar for There Will Be Blood, yes, uh, which was another Paul Thomas Anderson joint, and a lot of people were hot and cold on that performance because they felt like he chewed scenery and it was just over the top. You actually are kind of hot and cold a little bit on the movie, I think.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I I don't consider it one of PT Anderson's best films, even though most people do. Right, um, I like several of his other films much much better. Sure, so, yeah.
2: So I, you know, for me, I feel like. This, even though he didn't win an Oscar for this, I feel like kind of it was more an, a nuanced performance, you know, so instead of being like in your face. And I thought the performance in There Will Be Blood was good, but this was just more nuanced, more subtle. And um, yeah, so and I, as far as it being Paul Thomas Anderson, does it rank with his stuff? I, I think it would have to it's near the top for me, if not at
1: the top. Wow. Okay. So very nice. Obviously,
2: kind of high on family. So you friends. did like this movie. <laughs> I did.
1: Okay. I did. Well, you and I are in the same camp. I adore this film. I, I actually really think it's probably one of my favorite films in the past year. Uh, I have seen it three and a half times now.
2: That's, so that's, yeah. you
1: know, and it does, I gain more from it in each viewing. So I have a lot of, a lot of reasons why I think I really love this film. Uh, but kind of going off the same question I ask you, um, I'm still got a soft spot for Boogie Nights. That's still probably my absolute favorite Paul Thomas Anderson film. But this one's really close. So I mean, I mean, to be in that same upper echelon is is a good spot to be for this film. Daniel Day Lewis, I, I loved his performance here. Uh, no, it's not the the most showy role he's ever had. It's not the Bill the Butcher role. It's not There Will Be Blood Plain Viewed uh, role. But I, that's probably why I like it. Is that I don't feel like it was it, it was not exaggerated in any way. It was a very nuanced, sometimes low-key, having just a few moments of big showy uh, dialogue, but most of the time it's a much more quiet performance. Um, But he had a lot to do in this film with that character, which I thought was really interesting. He did more with silence and looks and facial expressions in this film than I think he has in other films where he's relied on big, boisterous talk and dialogue and actions and physicality. This is a much more smaller performance, but yet it carried a lot more throughout the film. I felt like, so, um, now I'm, I'm super high on this film. I think it's a wonderful, wonderful film for a lot of different reasons. Why don't you, can you kind of oh, pick through some of the reasons sure, that you, you're giving this some high marks?
2: Um, you know, okay. It goes without saying, you mentioned how many Academy Awards it was nominated for the one that I feel like, you know, it should have won and it didn't
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: was best picture.
1: <clears throat> okay.
2: Excuse me. And the reason why is because Okay, Alan, I've already commented on, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis, his performance. Uh, I think the direction by Paul Thomas Anderson, I think it was well-directed. The actresses you mentioned, Leslie Manville and Vicki Creeps, their characters were also really well-written w- and really well-acted. Basically, you could kind of say it was kind of – it was the three of them. They were yeah. just – you know, it was
1: – They know, were 90% of the performance. Right. There were yeah. other characters,
2: mm-hmm. but it was basically the three of them and the interplay between them, the interactions and – it just was really important because it's not a big action movie. It's more about what people are saying, how they're reacting to one another, how they're looking at one another. Um, And it just, all the elements of this movie to me just really came together and worked really well. So it didn't get best picture, but I think it should have. Um, One of the other elements we'll talk about. I think we should talk about is the cinematography Mm and the way frames are set up. Uh, You had mentioned to me off air that, Paul Thomas Anderson actually kind of worked a little bit working the camera, so he you know he directed, mm-hmm. but he actually was behind the camera a little bit, kind of you know shooting some of the shots himself. And
1: well, they what? haven't they have they don't have an official credited cinematographer for this film. Got you. The word was, and Paul Thomas Anderson kind of admitted that yes, he did do work behind the camera, or he would have some other ca- camera operators help him on it. But there was no official cinematographer, so he is unofficially credited as cinematographer for Got his own you. film.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I think. Just like Daniel Day Lewis's character as Reynolds Woodcock, he's very intentional about what he does, very detail oriented in all the thought that he puts into the dresses that he makes. And I think having Anderson kind of be that way with the cinematography and that you know kind of involved and integral into what's going on. Not that directors aren't always kind of integral in what's going on, but you know, taking it one step further, taking up another job as well, I think it, I think it pays off. Some of the cinematography that I kind of paid attention to is actually kind of early on, but then there are echoes of it later in the film. The opening shot, you see a lot of workers coming in, Mm -hmm. and you view the House of Woodcock from the stairwell down below. And you look up, and there's this like skylight that puts this like heavenly light. And it's like, oh, we're ascending into the House of Woodcock. Um, And it has this very ethereal look to it. Then they cut to shots of Reynolds and I think Cyril also kind of descending down the stairs like they're coming down to humanity or coming down to the earth. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of this all upstairs downstairs play going on like the people that are in control and the worker bees and all this kind of stuff. Later in the film, there's a situation where Alma has decided to surprise Reynolds and she is upstairs and she is dressed and he comes in and she catches him unawares. And they use that whole upstairs, downstairs yep. play. And it's, it's just very well shot. And, you know, I can't help but think, just very, very intentional on part of the director. I can't imagine and, it, you know, was the it. way he laid stuff out. There's shots of, there's a lot of negative space in the frame sometimes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or um, there's a sequence where Alma is going out and Reynolds is wondering what she's going to do. And he kind of peeks his head around the corner done for comedic effect, but also just the spacing in the frame. You mm-hmm. can tell, you know, really intentional. And I think sharp, I think Alan, we should also mention, and I know you're a big fan, so I'll let you like rhapsodize about it, but the soundtrack for this movie. Yes. Um, how does it work for you? Oh,
1: it worked beautifully. It, it, it's a, it's an odd soundtrack and the, in the scoring of it is a, it, it uh, on first, Listen, it sounds like a very classical uh, score, a big swelling music at time and kind of an interesting melody, but it has enough sinister tones to it and enough just breaking with the norm of a traditional instrumental. There's like three or four general themes of of this, of the music that carry throughout the entire film. I think I read somewhere too, and I I agree about 80 or 90% of the movie is scored.
2: Yeah, it seems like it. I mean,
1: it's, there's very few moments where there's not a score playing in the background. So I think there's, for a two-hour movie, I think there was, you know, almost, two, almost an hour and a half to two hours of score gotcha. uh, going along with it. Um, no, I loved it. I thought it was great. I, I think it added just enough. It, the, the thing I loved about the movie so much, and the music accentuated this, is you didn't know where it was going to go. It was very perverse in the way it wanted to think talk about what kind of movie it was. In the first little bit, you get the sense that it's a very strict period piece with just some learning these characters, learning these family dynamics. Then it starts to go into more of a romance, a little bit more traditional romance. And then it kind of veers away from a romance and goes into another direction. And then by the end of the film, it's kind of ended at a place that you did not expect it to end. And that's what I love about it so much is that, you know, it. so many times it flirted with this idea of being a traditional period romance drama and it weaved and it zagged when, you know, when you thought it was going to go a certain direction. The music to me accentuated that where it had so many moments where you felt like, oh, it's such a beautiful score it starts. And then as the score continues, it's like, ooh, but it just got a little creepy for a little bit. And now it sounds, sounds like it may be a little dangerous and I don't know what's going on quite yet. And the music kind of helps carry you through those emotions as well, which I, I just thought was a wonderful score by jo- uh, Johnny Greenwood right. of, of Radiohead. Of uh, Radiohead, and, yeah, which
2: huge fan of Radiohead. And he's worked with Anderson before yes. on There Will Be Blood. He
1: did, I think, several of the films. I think he did There Will Be Blood. I think he did The Master, too, if I remember okay. correctly. I think yeah, you might be right. Um, yeah. So, so I think
2: their collaboration is obviously a fruitful one. Absolutely. And it, and it worked, I think, as well. You know, you mentioned on going into this movie and how it starts out. You're like, oh, okay. This is a period piece. Mm -hmm. This is a costume drama, which, you know, obviously he's a designer. Costumes are very important. That is the one Oscar it walked away with. Mm -hmm. But you and I have kind of gone on record. I know I have. I kind of steer clear of costume dramas Mm -hmm. as a general rule. (laughs) Um, Not not a fan. They pretty much bore me to tears. Mm -hmm. Um, Romance costume dramas (laughs) – Even more so, like that's just like okay, I'm I'm going to get nothing out of this. Sure, you and I had heard, and we this was in our news sections, you know, from months and months ago. It's like, oh, we finally found out what Paul Thomas Anderson's new movie is going to be. Cool, found out Daniel Day Lewis is going to be involved. Okay, oh, it's a period piece. Oh,
1: 1950s London. Oh, it's about fashion designer. About fashion designer.
2: Oh, yeah. You know, it's like okay, but you know, the hope was if anybody can make it interesting, Paul Thomas Anderson could.
1: (laughs) Well, and, and I, I do say too. I think the, you know the marketing of this and how they're promoting it as a film about a a, 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 a fashion designer. And all, it's a little misleading, and that is obviously the crux of the film: what his job is. But sure. it moves, I think, pretty gracefully away from a lot of attention on the on the career, and it becomes really more of an interesting character study of two slash three individuals. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, all three individuals that are the main characters of the story, but the relationship between Daniel Day Lewis and, and Vicky Cripps um very interesting. It's a slight story in the grand scheme of things. It really is. I mean, you know, you think about bigger stories, bigger films that we're used to seeing. This one is pretty slight in that it's, you know, it's really just a small character drama between three people that does take some interesting turns that I admire it for. But you know, looking at all of uh, all the rest of Paul Thomas Anderson's film, this is a much smaller film. It's sure. a much more intimate film. It's
2: pretty accessible. It's
1: very accessible. I was going to say you know, where, where Inherent Vice and The Master and There Will Be Blood, you kind of have to go along with him for the ride and kind of be willing to buy into those films. This one, I think anybody can sit there and at least watch and absorb and follow along for the most part. So I I loved it. I, I was going to try to look through dislikes, Chris. And I always say we like to bring up the good and the bad, you know, things we liked or didn't like. I, I've got nothing. Do you have anything on the dislike side?
2: Um, I'm trying to think, you know, I don't think so. Um, yeah. I think, you know, if I were to say one thing, um, but it is very slight. It is long, mm. um, but it kind of the, there are a lot of lingering shots and things that But it just provides a sense of atmosphere.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: It was never antsy sitting there like, okay, why are they showing this? Yeah. Um, They do, they do a good job too. Like you say, it meanders between just a relationship drama. There are some moments of humor as well.
1: So there's actually outside of inherent vice, which was a pretty meant to be a lot more comedic. Right. uh, It's one of his funnier films, you know, I mean, uh, I guess you go all the way back to punch struck love and maybe a little bit boogie nights had some humor to it, but this one was up a, a lighter movie mm-hmm. for the most part. I think light is maybe the word I'm looking for for the most part of the film. Right. It's a lighter film. Yeah.
2: Well, and yeah. And I think because of those elements, it gives you enough to keep you interested. Um, yeah. It does have some fashion things that, but they, I thought they were kind of interesting period details. But it never got so weighted down in that that it was boring. Yeah. Um, in a weird way, this can kind of be a food movie because um, oh. <laughs> they order a bunch of food at one point, and the detail they talk about the food and they show food being made, and you're
1: just like, a lot well, close-ups making, of close-ups of making me hungry. So, a lot of close-ups of food being served, food yeah. on plates. And of course, that does play into some of the storyline later on as well. Sure. Um, yeah, no, I really I, – I honestly don't have anything to criticize the film for. I, I, I
2: don't either. I mean, um, I think there's also something to be said with, you know, it has comment – the threads in there about women and their roles in society. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this has two very strong female characters in it, um, as in, you know, Alma and then the sister Cyril by Leslie Manville. Yeah, both of those are really strong. Actually, a lot of commentary about, you know – genius and suffering for your craft or suffering, you know, Mm -hmm. Woodcock's really good at what he does. People really come to him because they like his dresses. Some girl says, Hey, I, you know, it's my goal to, you know, be buried in one of your dresses. He's like, thank you. Mm -hmm. You So kind of one of those things like, great. That's your, you know, I hope you live up to that or something. It was like his comment to her. So, but he also, sometimes does things he doesn't like and has to work with people that he does not want to have to work with. Sure. But yeah, you know, so it's, it's an interesting, not necessarily a play on fame, but just of genius and talent and what you have to sacrifices you have to make and yeah. sacrifices he's made um, maybe in his life that he's not as happy as he could be or um, doesn't draw close to people or has sure. to can only function at his high rate of function. If he has a strict routine mm-hmm. that just, you know, he can't, yeah. Tolerate deviances from
1: doesn 't um, have time for interruptions, no. so or distractions the distractions yes. yeah. so uh, you know, not to just keep heaping on the, the praise, but <laughs> yeah, I will say there are two standout scenes for me
2: okay
1: um, specifically I had already seen this film three times, got you, and we showed it last night at another one of our film screenings, and I had things to do around town, so I knew I was going to be coming in late for the film, but I desperately wanted to make sure I' made it back to be able to see both of these two scenes okay. and they both happen in the last 30 to so minutes. Um, one is there's a new year's Eve party that uh, uh, Alma attends his, uh, his, his muse, his, the, the, the female in his life. And there's a inner, there's a tracking shot through a crowd of a New York, uh, the, the, the new year's Eve party mm-hmm. and how it ends up in a confrontation between Reynolds and Alma and no dialogue being said, but that whole sequence just spoke, volumes and the way it was shot and the interplay between them. I loved it. Not only was the New Year's Eve party itself just visually very interesting the way they staged it and the theatrical uh, elements that were going on around it. But just again, once you got to the two of them and the interplay they had was really, really fascinating to watch. So that was one. And then the last one is the last 15 minutes of the film where we have a very uh, long, but, but meant to be long scene in a kitchen that basically is kind of bringing the the story to a head yeah, and that, uh, it's incredibly well acted. Well paced. Oh yeah. Um, tense. Yes. Um, scene. And I could watch that scene over and over yeah, again. Yeah, that,
2: that scene's a masterclass of acting, directing, cinematography, lighting, sound design, like you know, just everything came. Yeah. That last scene is really huge. Mm-hmm. Um, Something that I actually looked forward to, I've only seen it twice. I've only seen it two Chris, times. I know. Weak. Um, but something I really enjoyed this time was there's several arguments mm-hmm. between Alma and Reynolds. Yeah. And there's one really good, which I think they used this as her Oscar clip, uh, Leslie Manville, when she was Best Supporting Actress. I think they used this as her Oscar clip because there's some arguments between her and Reynolds. Yes. And there's one specific where she just like... And you're, you know, you know she's kind of... In control a lot and you know she you know kind of runs the house of Woodcock with her but you always assume he's kind of at the top mm-hmm. until this one scene where she just like lays him out <laughs> and he's actually kind of like oh like you know it's like okay I'll take a step <laughs> yeah I'll back off okay <laughs> <laughs> oh, so yeah the, I, I looked forward to seeing those scenes again yeah. because I knew they were coming and again as Alan I've stated or I've stated this is a period piece for me to want to see it more than once for me to be anticipating scenes in it. Just, it says a lot. Um, for those of you who may be on the fence who haven't seen this film, um, imagine kind of a period piece, but done with some of the stylings of like cinematography wise or framing wise of like Stanley Kubrick. Mm -hmm. Um, but done with the intention of, kind of underlying themes of like an Alfred Hitchcock film, yeah, like Rebecca or something like that. It's got so,
1: very much a Rebecca type of vibe to it. Um, yeah, no, I agree. And I think the Kubrick from the shots and the framing and the pacing of the shots is very much a Kubrick style. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting mix of humor, drama, romance, and even a little tinge of gothic horror, you absolutely. know. Um, yeah, Interesting. It's just a really really fascinating mix of a film so i guess you can tell from our review chris and i are big fans
2: (laughs) yeah we are
1: Uh, big fans and uh so yes we are uh highly recommending this film uh phantom thread that you check out
2: i will say too because we've been talking about how wonderful the cinematography is see it however you can if you get a chance to still be able to see this in a the theater, it is still showing a couple of places. I highly recommend you try to make it to a
1: theater because yeah, I do too. Just because of, well, and plus the looks. soundtrack really works really well from a big True. theater environment. I mean, I've seen it in both theater and in a uh, more private uh, home viewing situation. And it, it definitely plays better in a large theater situation, for sure. Absolutely. Sure. So that is Phantom Thread. I, I know he got a relatively limited distribution in January, playing still in February and March in some select cities. Um, probably will be online by April, May, I would guess. So uh, hopefully a chance for people to catch it, catch it if you're not living in a larger city that has it available right now. But highly, highly recommended by both Chris and myself. All right, Chris, let's move on to our second review, which is the latest Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, installment, which is a character that was introduced in the Captain America Civil War film, but now has his own film as well as introducing a host of new supporting characters. That film is Black Panther.
2: You're telling me that the king of a third
1: world country runs around in a bulletproof cat suit. Why don't you ask him yourself? Because he's right outside. <laughs> Bingo. My
0: king.
2: Stop it. The Black Panther lives. With director Ryan Coogler's Black Panther, we get something that many people are heralding as kind of a first of its kind and that we have a superhero movie, but it is predominantly focused on all African-Americans. So that right there, and it is done in case you haven't probably picked up on this. It's done kind of well at the box office. It's made a couple of bucks. Eh, it's
1: made a few dollars. <laughs> um, yeah.
2: So this is an instance where they've taken a character. That's not kind of your name brand, Batman, a Superman, or on the Marvel side, it's not a Thor or a Hulk or a Spider-Man. It's kind of a, a lesser known dude. Mm-hmm. And they've given him this whole movie, uh, this whole movie, Alan, after having seen it, um, do you think a um, whole movie? Do you think there was enough there to give black Panther his own movie? Or do you think he would have been better served just to kind of be in infinity war? Like he's going to be in a couple of months and having been in civil war and let it be at that. Do you think mm-hmm. it was worth the diversion to have an entire movie for black Panther?
1: I, I do. I do, and I'll tell you because uh, the things I liked about the film was the world building that was going on. I liked the environment that we're learning about the, the uh, fictional country of Wakanda and kind of how it's hidden away from the rest of the world. and It's very technology-driven because of some uh, resources that they've generated and, and were blessed with many, many years ago. I think there's more than enough to make a standalone movie, and I'm glad they did. I think there's some really interesting supporting characters they brought up, some uh, companions and other um, tribal leaders of in Wakanda that are alongside T'Challa, who is the gentleman that becomes Black Panther. I think we've got an interesting world that's being built, so I'm very happy, and I think that they made the right decision to make it a standalone movie. And obviously, financially, they <laughs> justified the fact that this was worth a standalone movie for. Sure. Uh, my issues with the film were not with necessarily the story or the kind of world that was being built around it, or the fact that it even exists as a film. In general, I was very happy with those elements of the film. I think it was an interesting story. Um, it did follow the Marvel storyline formula pretty closely, and that's a disappointment for me. And I was, I'm, I'm to the point now, I'm not a Marvel film hater at all. I'm still very much a Marvel fanboy. I'll still go see them, But I am realizing that the, the formula is... Very uh, routine at this point, and it sure. makes it just not as exciting to watch, because I feel like I know exactly where it's going to go. I know actually how it's going to end. I know what the final resolution is going to be. I feel like it's all very formulaic at this point.
2: Well, I agree, and yeah. um, with Black Panther, I liked it, I, you know, but I was unable to escape all the hype that had come before it mm. because. Um, this movie had a lot of hype, you Mm -hmm. know, it was going to be a big deal for Ryan Coogler. It's kind of his first really big movie. He'd done Fruitvale station. He'd done Creed, Creed. Mm -hmm. but then this was, you know, I mean, it's a superhero movie. It's huge. It's Disney. It's Marvel. Um, and they were making a lot out of it that it was going to be, you know, the first African American superhero movie and, you know, making a big deal out of that. I think, you know, to actually give a little bit of credit, to DC. My gosh, we've talked about how they've always messed up and mm-hmm. um, but I think one thing they got right was when they had shown Superwoman or Superwoman. <laughs> Wonder Woman in um, Batman vs Superman and then they said, Okay, we're gonna do a Wonder Woman movie and they pulled back and Wonder Woman was great. I mean, you know, yeah, the box office movie. bears it out. You and I liked it. Um, but it did share the CGI monstrosity yeah. that was the end of the movie, which unfortunately, like you're saying, this, movie formulaic, well. this one has as well, which is one of my negatives about it. But what it was able to do was flesh out an individual character. Yes. Um, and that's what I felt like with black Panther. I was, I wanted it to basically be, you know, the African American wonder woman or wonder yeah. man. Cause it would be a dude. Um, but that's what I wanted this to do. So my expectations were kind of high. Like you said, I thought the story was great. The char- you know, introducing some new characters and how they all work. The world building, like you said, was great. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, as a result of that, and granted, you know, I'm not really familiar with the source material of Black Panther, but I think he could have been a robot.
1: Yeah, um, no, he was probably the least interesting character. He in the was, film. and yeah. what
2: was so? You know, not that Chadwick Boseman he didn't do a bad job. No, I just don't think he was. And maybe that's his character; he's supposed to be removed and cold a little more stoic, stoic a little kind more of yeah, yeah. But you can do that and make it interesting. Yeah, but he did. I don't think he was. He was not an interesting really character at all. And okay, this is a positive of the movie, but a downside for the character of Black Panther. He's going up against okay terrible terrible character name or just like cringeworthy, but these are comic books. So what does it matter? The guy's name is Killmonger. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And they say that with a straight face, like, okay, he's a bad guy, but his name is Killmonger. Okay. Mm -hmm. But, um, played by Michael B. Jordan, who'd collaborated with Kugler on his previous two films. So he's kind of got a track record running with the guy, but yeah, the bad guy in this film is so interesting. It's kind of like another DC reference the Joker and Batman, mm-hmm. like in that original Tim Burton movie, the Joker is just like so crazy interesting. And Batman's just kind of there. You
1: yep. know? That's right.
2: And in this movie, similar type thing, except, um, I don't know. It just somehow doesn't gel quite as well because, you know, even though Michael Keaton was downplaying Batman, he still, you know, gave it a little
1: something. Still more. gave him a personality. Right. And I think that's what, uh, unfortunately the main character T'Challa just, there is no personality. I think he's, Almost too stoic, too unrelatable. Which what that does is it shines such a spotlight on everybody else around him. Right. All of the female characters, which basically, I mean, he's one of really two guys, uh, men in the in the Wakanda tr- uh, community that we follow. Everybody else is female that we spend the most time with. His sister, his mother, um, and then a whole group of uh, warriors Warrior women. that are basically his. I guess the almost like the police force there yeah. in in the in the country and they're all fascinating i loved every single one yeah, of those characters the sister right. the mother and the uh, the police force are all just wonderful uh denai guerrera uh as Akoi, uh Lapito nyongo as nakia uh and then where's the sister uh gosh uh zuri i uh, know um shuri uh latita Wright. so all three of them were amazing were so much fun to watch and it just between them and the villain being so fun to watch and interesting, you, you just – yeah. Black Panther himself was just a – I almost like a secondary character and yeah. just not really a really yeah. interesting one. That was well, – I won't say it's a disappointment because I love spending time with all the other characters. It's just, you know, that if he's to be your main source of conflict and his main – you know, he's the main character we're following, it is a, a little discouraging that he was just so – Boring.
2: (laughs) Well, um, there's another character, you know, like you said, character of black Panther wasn't strong enough. His surrounding supporting characters were more interesting Mm -hmm. than he was there. You know, I mentioned Killmonger is, you know, a big, important bad guy in this movie. Um, (laughs) Andy circus is also in this movie Mm -hmm. and I don't feel like he should be. Um, Mm -hmm. he's got another for me, cringe worthy character name. (laughs) Oh, claw claw Ulysses claw. uh... But it's not like, C-L-A-W-O, no, it's K-L-A-U-E, yeah. which they again comic booky y Yeah, um, he is.
1: Claw is a very is a, is a character in the Marvel Universe. Terrible,
2: guy, yeah. terrible use of him. I mean, granted, uh, I don't know. Actually, but I don't agree with te- you on that. I but couldn't wait fine. for him to get off screen. Yeah,
1: I don't agree with you on that, um, that's oh, fine. Was, I didn't find him cringeworthy. I mean, I did feel like it was a little unnecessary. He was basically acting as a bridge to some of the other films because he had been in the Avengers Age of Ultron movie, um, see, I'd forgotten. That. Yeah, he was in that. He was <laughs> in that, He was name. in that film, and uh, so a little bit of the bridge. I was okay with that, and then even Martin Freeman, who was in the film, um, see, could have done away with that too. Well, I, I know, and I understand you say that, and I get it. they did serve as a bridge, but I will say, of all the Marvel movies that felt feel the need so much to reference other films and to be so tied in, I think this one was one of the most furthest removed out where it did have some connective tissue, but not as much as some other recent Marvel films has. So I'll give it a little credit for that. It was willing to stand off on its own a bit more. Um, My biggest issue with the film, uh, you referenced it already a little bit. It's... The CGI rhinos? Well, the whole last (laughs) 20-minute fight scene uh, with this use of CGI. CGI in general, all throughout the film, I thought was horrible. I thought the CGI was really bad. Well, distractingly if, bad. If
2: this wasn't a big budget movie, you would say, well, they yeah. spent all the money on the actors right. because, you know, you've got this tons is a, of tons of big names yeah. and they just didn't have any money for the this. This is a $200
1: shows. million dollar no. budgeted film. This is Marvel. Yeah. This
2: is Disney. I was
1: really disappointed. That every time that they would cut to a CGI animated scene, I just this lost interest. Terrible. It just pulled me out of the film. So therefore, the last 20 minutes, which was both two fights going on simultaneously one in an outdoor bigger army type fight and one a little more intimate imagine lord of the rings yes and then you got another one that happens inside that's between two individuals both of those animation was so poor on both sides it was just i i lost interest in the film in that last 20 minutes which is really disappointing because there are moments i really was enjoying what they were doing and then it just i felt like it just all fell apart in that final once again a big cgi spectacle where i felt like I was only seeing real humans maybe 10% of the time, and the rest of it was all rubbery animated people that just (laughs) seemed to be defying the laws of physics with the way they moved and their bodies looked on screen. Really disappointing. Very, very disappointing. Um, That's my biggest issue. I think if they had ended on a more... Here's the thing. Throughout the film, the parts I enjoyed the most were the parts where it was the most raw. Yeah. So there was a scene early in the film where T'Challa is basically having to... Be challenged for his right to be king. It's like a tribal. And this happens in right. the first twenty minutes, sure. so it's like not a spoiler, but just you know, this is what happens in their 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 world, their civilization. It's like he is going to be king, but he has an opportunity where other tribe, because I think there what there are four or five tribes competing. Something like that yeah. the, each tribe has an opportunity to put somebody up to challenge him and say, "Hey, we think we ought to be king, so we're going to fight him." And it was raw and it was brutal and it was just you know really interesting how the dynamics were playing out if they had continued with that and made that more the way the film ended and a little more, just feel like I'm watching real human beings really grapple with things. I would have felt so much more positive about this film, but it's just that ending 20 minutes. I felt like I was so disconnected from the film. I didn't really care what happened.
2: Yeah. And I think we're not saying, I think we're both coming from the same place. I think you and I are definitely on the same page with this film. Mm -hmm. Um, So I feel like I can speak for you. We're not saying we understand the need for a big battle scene. Yeah. And you know, you have some potential there with like some tribes all warring against each Mm -hmm. other. But, you know, why not do something original and kind of take it back a little bit and do kind of like a Braveheart structured battle where it's – yeah, I I know for the crowd stuff they do maybe multiply numbers of people. But you actually have people doing like traditional hand-to-hand fighting and don't do like crazy rubbery people flying in the air. Like don't bring rhinos into it. Just have more of like a traditional – battle scene but just do some fancy editing and like camera movements but keep it a little bit and that would actually make it feel more visceral more it needs real, to be a little more grounded a little grounded. more grounded exactly. yeah and I that agree. would make that would make it different yeah and stand I think so out. too. i think so <laughs> too
1: well i will say even despite the fact that i really did not care for the ending of the film the, the last action sequences and the big finale part immediately afterwards there is a a very i think well acted moment with michael b jordan and chadwick boseman uh, the very last scene they have together, uh, where the action stopped and they're actually able to act for a little bit. And it and was just, really good. T-
2: okay. It was and really good. I feel good. like, you know, some people, you know, there were two moments in this film that I could feel that I saw Ryan Kugler, the mm-hmm. director, kind of shining through um, his through line. You know, you see things like Taika Waititi doing it with some humor moments in Thor, and you're like, okay, yep, I can tell that's his signature yeah. stamp. I could tell this was a Ryan Coogler movie because of what you're talking about. That scene where they just have a chance to kind of talk. It's a conference. the sunset scene. scene. Yeah. It is. And yeah. they're talking and just some of the things that are said in the statements, they're not heavy handed, no. but they're, you know, they're making a statement. They're oh, yeah. handed enough. You know? yep. And it's like, yep, I can tell that this isn't just run of the mill movie. Ryan Coogler is making a stamp and it's something that he would do. Yeah. So yeah, it's, that was a good scene.
1: there are a couple of interesting moments, and again, I think anytime they focus in on the culture and the rituals and the um, the way their their civilization worked, mm-hmm. it was really interesting there's another, um, there, yeah.
2: and it wasn 't just serious because that was an example of a serious one, but there 's one where there 's kind of a confrontation between a tribal leader yeah. and some people, and it 's you know very tense, and then basically a vegetarian joke is thrown out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And the way that was done, it was Ryan Coogler saying, yep, I know what you guys are thinking. This is the stereotype of how these people are mm. going to be. And, oh, nope, I'm just going to drop one in there and just be. And, like, you know, challenging expectations. I just wish that some other parts of the film had kind of done I the same agree. thing.
1: Um, I agree. I agree. I, and, there again, the CGI just killed me in a lot of places. It just was really rough. It right. was a, Even there's a scene that's, like, shot to look like a one-take shot uh, inside of a casino Yeah, that could have been really cool, but I actually just felt like it was almost too much. I could tell when the animation was being used and the camera movements were a little more uh, computer generated movements and not authentic. It just it didn't have that visceral feel that I felt like it could have. And it was disappointing for me. So I, I just I feel like it was almost like wrapped up too much in animation and. Making things bigger and, and more spectacle driven than they need to be when the best parts of this movie were the ones that were more authentic and raw and real. And when they got there, it was really good. It's okay. just it didn't carry through the whole film on that. So I'll say
2: we've commented on Killmonger as far as a character and how good he was. Um some of the writing and what made it authentic and kind of raw like what you were talking about, you could see the motivations for why Killmonger was the way he was. Mm-hmm. There's some setup, some backstory. Yeah. That becomes evident, and even kind of bookends of the film that first shot versus last shot that have some continuity that help to kind of flesh out, you know, the society, why it is the way it is, why Black Panther is the way that he is, and so that was well done. It's just a shame it wasn't more carried out, but there was great potential there.
1: It it was, I will say, I I think what the movie stands for is awesome. I'm so glad, you know, a film that, you know, is more representative of people, a movie going audience and speaks for a, a population, a demographic that feel like they're underrepresented in film. And they are, they're terribly underrepresented in mainstream movies and mainstream box, blockbuster films. I love the fact that this thing's making so much freaking money. It's great. (laughs) I just, you know, I can't feel a little disappointed in the film and that I felt like it had such great potential and such great motives behind it, but it just, it got locked into the Marvel machine. It got locked into the Marvel formula. It got locked into the big CGI spectacle. And I think that just really brought the film down from where it could have been.
2: I just, yeah, Yeah. I agree. Mm. Um, I think are you you kind of wrapped on Black Panther because before you want to move yeah, on. Yeah, no, I am. I, okay. I'm going to
1: say I'm. A, I'll give it a passable. You know, if you're into Marvel movies, you like superhero movies. Yeah, it's it's a fine one to go see. <laughs> I just think it could have been so much better. It yeah. could have been so much more. I'm kind of
2: I'm kind of right there yeah. with you because we are going to do three uh, yeah. reviews. We're not really going to do news items, but right. I just want to get your initial gut reaction okay. because I'll go ahead and spoil what mine is. All right, sure. <laughs> so I'll say mine and then throw it to you. I think Infinity War could be I, – I have a feeling it's going to be a disaster. Okay. And here, here's my reasoning. I think it's going to be kind of like – just I think Marvel is finally going to have their Justice League mm. or going to have their Suicide Squad. I, the reason I say that was because they had a chance at Black Panther and I feel like, like you say, it's fine. But a lot of the stuff that was wrong with it was these battle scenes that are formulaic and everything. Okay, now I could be wrong. I know the subject around Infinity War, but you know you can tell from the trailer it's like Guardians of the Galaxy, you have the Avengers, you have you know my number one pet peeve, which has been the downfall of Justice League and Suicide Squad is oh just a bunch of aliens like fighting and invading from space. And that's Infinity War. Granted right. it has the one guy walking around with glowing stones in his glove, whatever. Like I just think it looks like it just looks like it looks like the first Avengers movie, except now we have more people to add in. Because the first Avengers movie was people invading from space, and now this one's more people invading from space. Right. I think it is, I, but you know it'll make a lot of money anyway. Oh, well, I'm not. I think I, I'm going to royally. Okay, let's take. Infinity
1: I want. War. Let's so make a little. Let's now, make a little what bet.
2: Are you, what are your gut reactions?
1: No, I'm I'll tell you. War? Let's let's make a bet. Okay. Not on box office because I don't think that's an indicator how good the film is. No. no. I think. Uh, I think we all. What do we want to say? We want to base on Rotten Tomatoes. So here's the thing. See, I, I, and here's what. I think it's going to be good. And I'll tell you, I think it's actually going to be... I hope I'm wrong. I think it's going to be a good movie. And only because I think the directors that they've got, who are um, the Russo brothers, right. who did Captain America Civil War, and they mm-hmm. did Captain America uh, Winter Soldier, mm-hmm. which I thought were both really, really good films. I mean, I thought for superhero movies, they were both really good. Um, I think they get it. I think did they understand. They,
2: did they do the first... Captain America. No, that no. was
1: uh, Joe Johnson. Okay. I believe. Yeah, but they
2: did the second. They and, did the yeah. second
1: and the third one. Right. Um, I think they get it. I just think they get it. They understand. I mean, Civil War was a film where you threw every superhero they had available to him into a big fight scene on, at the airport, and it was great. I loved it. I thought it was so much fun. They just they knew how to stage it. They knew how to make it work. They knew how to put stakes in the mix of things. They put some personality into it. I don't know. I'm gonna say I I believe that Infinity War will continue their <laughs> high uh, rating mark in general for these superhero movies. I think it's going to be a good film. So you don't have a
2: you don't have a uh, feeling that it's going to be like a no. default note. I I
1: I could see full steam ahead. I could see how just looking at it on paper and not like thinking about previous work and not thinking about the directors involved. I I could see. I totally get how you could look at it and say. Holy crap, that's a lot of people in this movie. Oh, my God, how are they going to even fit everybody in? It's just going to be giant CGI battles left and right. I, I think there's going to be more to it. I think there's going to be more to it. I think it's going to, be more to, it. I think it's going to surprise people that it's a strong movie. That's my prediction. Sure. That's my prediction. I think it'll still be a uh, 80% Rotten Tomatoes or higher is what I'm saying. That's really? my guess. Yeah. Wow. So you know, we don't, we're not going to bet any money. That's not legal no, no. to do. <laughs> uh, can, I'm just going to say, I think 80% or higher Rotten Tomatoes. You think it'll be probably below that.
2: I feel like it would But okay. be, it
1: wouldn't surprise me Because people just seem To eat this stuff Well, up, But but you know? remember The critics don't The critics are normally You know i are so so not talking To audience We, we don't base on audience We're talking on critics
2: I, Yeah I, You'll take I me think on that I I'd be surprised If it got 80 All right
1: 80% yeah. is what I'm Setting the mark at Yeah 80 or above I win Sure 79% or lower <laughs> You win Yes Okay cool Let's take that We'll figure <laughs> okay. out What we're betting for later So it's not important It's just bragging rights Maybe
2: somebody has to Finally watch a Medea movie <laughs>
1: <laughs> now let's just do bragging rights. <laughs> enough. Okay. okay enough. All right. So that is Black Panther. We're both giving it a pass, like like a good pass. Like, yeah, go see it. It's I mean, fine. I'll go
2: ahead and say scale of one to five is a three for
1: me. Oh, one to five. Okay, yeah, yeah that's about right. No, I'm I'm probably two and a half three. Okay. I mean, I think it's worth seeing. I just more disappointed than sure. I was. Uh, feel like it was a bad movie. So right. yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to do a review of the comedy Game Night, as well as close out the show with our recommendations of the episode. You are listening to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. We'll be right back.
0: We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at TheMesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show.
1: Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. I'm Alan. This is Chris as my finger points across the table to the individual by my Hello. side. Hi. Hi. And uh, we'll get back to our reviews and further discussion of films in just a moment. But just as a quick reminder, you are listening to this show on TheMesh.TV. That is the TheMesh, dot t v. This is our podcast network. It is a uh, network of shows that you can listen to for free anytime you want. They're all audio with a couple videos sprinkled in from time to time, but programs you can subscribe to if you like what you're hearing. So let's say, for example, you're listening to this episode. You like the conversation in general. You love our radio pleasing voices. You love our professional dialogue that we're doing, which, of course, I'm I'm being a little uh, uh, joking about all that. But let's say you decide this is something I want to keep listening to. Well, guess what? We put out an episode probably every couple of weeks or so on schedule. You subscribe to the show the very next time we post an episode. Within that same day, you basically have it downloaded automatically to your device of choice. Your phone, your tablet, your uh, tablet computer, whatever it may be. Uh, even streaming to like your Apple TV or TV box. So you can subscribe just like recording a show on a DVR. That's the way it works. As you subscribe to a show, you're going to get every new episode coming out when as soon as it's available. You don't have to go hunt for it. You don't have to go check a website to see when it comes out. That's what makes a podcast a podcast. So the TV is a collection of podcasts, a variety of different topics that you can go browse the website, find a show you like, and go and click on the subscribe button. You can also find all of our shows on Apple iTunes Store, on the Google Play Store, anywhere where podcasts are found. Just search for The Mesh, or for this particular show, search for Foot Candle, and you'll find us. We hope to see you as a subscriber in the future, and if you have any feedback, we'll give you some ideas at the end of the show of how you can get a hold of us with any thoughts about the show. All right, so Chris, getting back to our reviews, we had a great review of the film Phantom Thread, which you and I both gave five out of five. Is that what we're saying? I mean, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, Black Panther, somewhere in the two and a half to three, star out of five star, I think, between the two of us. Uh, a, A good movie, just disappointing in that it could have been so much better, had the foundations of so many good things going on. Let's move on to our third and final review for the episode, which is the comedy Game Night. Tonight. We're
0: taking game night up a notch. Oh, boy. Mm. Someone in this room is going to be taken, and it's going to be up to you to find them. It's a murder mystery party. Whoever finds the victim wins the grand prize. You're not going to know what's real and what's fake. Wait a second. You can't just come in here and break the door. Like- oh. <gasps> what's real? Help me this is... Guys, make sure you get a piece of this cheese. No. It's just the first one that follows us gets sucked. Okay, roger that. You drive safe.
1: Chris Game Night tells the story of a group of friends who you get the impression get together on a regular basis for their game night. Mm-hmm. Something that many of us have been a part of. Get together, play a board game or a charade or something to that effect. However, this one turns into something a little bit more starts out as a murder mystery game that they're, uh, the main character who is played by Jason Bateman and he's playing a man named Max and Max has a brother played by Kyle Chandler, whose name is Brooks. Brooks decides to up the ante on game night a little bit and throw in a murder mystery type show, uh, which starts to go off the rails. There's some twists and turns and there's some action set pieces and there's some comedy and it's. All, almost like a – you remember that 1980s movie Clue where, you know
2: – Oh, I remember that 1980s movie. Clue. Yes. We'll get there. Okay,
1: all right. So kind of in that same vein where you got a lot of characters and a lot of couples and interplay and you don't quite know who's doing what or where it's going to end up and a little bit of a guessing game involved. That's the movie we have with Game Night. Uh, it's directed by John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein. I don't really know anything else these guys have done. Although I've heard that they did the vacation reboot starring Ed Helms a couple years ago. That was not very well received. Um,
2: And let me throw out something else. I'm not sure exactly what their involvement, but the poster for game night says from the guys who brought you horrible bosses,
1: which I never saw that. Did you ever see, did 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 you ever see but
2: I think between that and vacation, I saw clips from both and was like, Oh dear. Yeah. So now with game night. Okay.
1: So with game night. (laughs) So uh, You know, comedies, Chris, are tough. They are. I think they're probably the hardest thing to get right because if you try too hard, it just becomes kind of ridiculous and over the top. If you don't try enough, people walk away from a film saying, I just didn't really laugh that much. Trying to find a great balance between clever comedy, especially in an adult comedy. We're not talking about a kid comedy. It's a challenge to just, do we just go extremely profane on everything and just try to curse our way out of a funny movie or what? So let me just ask you from a comedy standpoint, how did game night go over for you? Are you going to be attending the next game night uh, as a, as a participant or are you going to skip out? It uh, to go, but it didn't collect $200. Ooh. Oh, Oh, I like that. That was really um, good. Chris, did you work on that? Did you work on that for a while before? Okay.
2: Um. Okay. The thing is, I didn't laugh a lot. Okay. And with a comedy, that's kind of... I did... There were some laughs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting you threw out the whole curse their way through the movie. Mm-hmm. The first, like, half hour, it was like... I felt like I was watching, like, Harlem Nights with Eddie Murphy and Arsenio <laughs> Hall. It mm-hmm. was like, people don't talk like this. This isn't the Big Lebowski we have. No, these are like... Educated, kind of preppy people getting together to have like a game night. And it was just like, I was like, what is going on? I was like, is that going to be the source of humor for this movie? Mm -hmm. But then it did get past that. I did laugh a couple of times. So I was disappointed that it was not as funny as I wanted it to be now, because I was thinking basically this was going to kind of be a rated R version of clue. Yeah. And I love clue, that <laughs> I movie. Yeah. Uh, and I have seen, okay, I need to go and see it again because I mean, I haven't seen it in a while, but I like I've seen it more than once, multiple times, love the movie. So that's what I thought this was going to be. Cause that the purpose of that was just to be funny. Yes. And that's what I thought this was, was the purpose is just to be funny. I didn't laugh enough. However, I will say, then I became convinced, Oh, this is not clue as much as it is to throw out another movie. This is the game the Michael Douglas, <laughs> David Fincher movie. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, that's all this is too. But no, a strength I will give to the movie is it managed to kind of play with that expectation mm-hmm. of, well, it, I guess it played with the expectation of a comedy, but as to whether or not what exactly is going on, it's better written than a lot of comedies There, are, you know, a lot of comedies because of the Will Ferrell, Will Ferrell age got to be just improvised. Mm-hmm. Zach Galifianakis, Will Ferrell, both really funny people. But sometimes you feel like they just kind of roll the camera and they kind of say a bunch of stuff and they edit out what they think's the funniest. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. I feel like you could see that there was writing involved oh, yeah. in this and yeah. there was machinations and things that had to happen. And like, so I could admire that and kind of some of the twists, if you will, in a comedy, you know, some of those, I I really admired where the film ends up. I also admire. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just getting there. Um, I feel like so much time was spent on maybe trying to subvert expectations about certain things. There, I think this. They're I saw this maybe a little bit, a couple you know weeks ago. So I'm trying to remember. Were there
1: three couples involved in Game Night?
2: yeah so there's there's you know the main couple which is you know you yeah. of course they get the most screen time the main Bateman couple you've got Jason
1: Bateman Rachel McAdams right then you had um Billy Magnuson, which okay. I didn't know, but he uh, he and then he brought a girlfriend or a right. date to the to date night and then you had two uh Lamar Morris okay. and uh Kylie Bunbury. Bunberry, okay, so, so yes, those three couples
2: okay so with those three couples here's here's where my my problem comes in which can be a very problem with me with comedies too, because I like for people to try a bunch of different stuff and then just kind of move on, which is one of the reasons I kind of liked Deadpool was because it was just throwing up all sorts of jokes and what worked, worked and what didn't. You're just like, okay, move on next joke. And that way enough of them hit. And it was Mm -hmm. kind of random Mm -hmm. humor sometimes Mm
1: -hmm.
2: with this. I felt like the only couple that got any good writing was Bateman and McAdams because Hmm. of course they're the main couple, so you would assume that you know they're the stars of the film, so they're going to get there. But um, the African American couple,
1: yeah,
2: um, they had one joke, and that joke was beaten like a dead horse <laughs> over and over. Now, granted, there is payoff to that joke, yes, there eventually, is. But I saw that coming a mile away, and even when oh, it's I like, did. so I was disappointed because I think they were good actors, and there was more they could have done. But I was just like. Give them more to do. Okay, and then the other couple that's kind of this guy who's basically, you know, you're a good-looking guy who, like, goes through women like he changes his underwear. Um, okay, that's a joke. And there was potential where the woman was kind of using him as well. But, there again, it was just very, like, surface one joke. And I wanted – I wanted I – wanted, I wanted more or, you know, I thought that could have been an opportunity for more jokes to enter in or something different, but instead Damn. they just kind of kept hitting the same note. So yeah. Alan, how about you with game night?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I liked it better than you did. Okay. I didn't love it. Uh, I thought it was lacking in a few things that would have made it a really good comedy. Okay. Um, a little bit along the, some of the lines you had criticism on, although I generally had a better time with this film. That sounds like you did. Gotcha. Um, I, I, I like the concept greatly. I thought the concept itself was really, really fun. My big complaint of the film, I'm just going to jump to the complaint, and then I'll talk sure. about the things I like. Sure. My big complaint with the film is I didn't think they gave the concept enough time to really breathe. Hmm. We spent so much time on the front setting up everything. Then we get to the actual game, and I felt like the game itself was pretty short shift. Yes, because I got this idea of like, oh, wow, they're going to split the three couples up and they're all three going to be competing. And it's going to be them trying to find out who can solve the next clue and get to it. And that whole part of the film was really short. It was really slight. And then it just turned into more action movie at the end. and It just didn't really it lost that whole concept. It lost the conceit of what they were trying to do. I think if they'd spent more time on the true game and right. it'd be like these couples really spending time trying to solve the clues and moving one step ahead of each other and competing against each other in some way, that would have been fun. But I think they actually kind of got all got a sense of what was going on all the way too quickly, like really figuring out what was going on, which kind of made the movie less fun for me at that point. So yeah. I think that the pacing and the way the movie was structured was, could have been a lot stronger to keep it being really funny and enjoyable. That being said, I like a lot of the actors here. I think they're funny. Could it have been funnier? Absolutely. Were there times where I think the jokes just didn't really work or just they they could have been funnier with the delivery? Yes, absolutely. I, in general, really always like Jason Bateman. I was just happy to see Jason Bateman in a comedy movie that actually kind of worked for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's been in some really horrible comedy movies in recent years. (laughs) And, I mean, this is a guy who I just adore on uh, Arrested Development. Sure. To me, he... He could do no wrong after doing those those two or three years of Arrested Development. Um, he really reinvented himself as a comedic actor, and I love watching him. But this is the first movie I've seen him in and that I thought, yeah, okay, this is like playing to his strengths. It's letting him be a good comedic actor. And Rachel McAdams, I thought, I thought they were a great couple. I enjoyed them as a couple and their chemistry. I like the other characters of their game night party. I think Lamorne Morris, who I've liked a lot on the show New Girl that um, I watch mm-hmm. – he's really funny. And I think he has, even though, yes, he and his girlfriend have one joke that kind of carries through. I really like the payoff of the joke. (laughs) I do. I think the payoff was hilarious. It was one of those where, and it was the way it was presented. I I can't explain it without going into spoilers and I won't, but the way it was presented on screen and the lead up to it. And then you start to all the audience start to realize what was happening with this story. It's like, ah, yeah. And then, it's funny because it builds up to that payoff and I think it worked really well. So I had a lot of fun moments with it. I will say the one thing I thought was the most fun of the film. So Jesse Plemons, who stars as Gary, who is the next door neighbor, police officer, officer, someone who intentionally does not get invited to game night. Um, I've seen him in so many other films. You know, he was in uh, the show Friday night lights for many years and, Um, Played a very earnest character, a very youthful character. He was in The Master, I believe. He was in uh, a few other movies. He's been
2: been in an episode of Black Mirror that was really good.
1: Yes. It's almost like somebody might be recommending that in a little bit. But anyway, uh, let's (laughs) move along. So um, I thought he was awesome. Uh, I thought he was a lot of fun as a very creepy character. Mm. And I think they had a lot of fun with his character. So I will say – And the uh,
2: payoff – of his character, yeah, was great.
1: yeah, it was yeah. good. I, uh, you know, the movie kept me guessing. I, I didn't really know what was going on till the very end, and uh, uh, I thought it was fun. So I had a good time with it. Do I wish it could have been more? Do I wish it could have been funnier? Do I wish it would have played with the game night concept a little bit more? Yeah, I, I feel like those were missteps that they that they made. But you know, given the fact that we see so few good rated R adult comedy movies these days that really work um this one stood out for me as something that yeah i had a good time with this this is fun yeah i'm not clamoring to go see it again but i think it was a good one-time movie right. here's what i will say maybe not ten dollars ticket price but when maybe it's playing not. at your second run movie theater or it comes on on itunes for five or six bucks absolutely that's uh, a fun night for a couple of hours to watch so Fair yeah um so that's game night i think you know I liked it better than Chris. Um, But, you know, (laughs) comedy is a very subjective thing. Again, it's very hard to find a universally beloved comedy these days, an adult comedy anyway. So that's Game Night. It is uh, doing okay, box office-wise for a comedy, so it's still around for a while. I did see the comparisons to the game. My wife and I, I had to describe the movie The Game to my wife, who had never seen it, as we were leaving this movie theater, because this is all I thought about afterwards. This is the... (laughs) Comedy, version, Comedy of movie, version of the movie, the game. game. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's the movie. And uh, I recommend checking it out for a few bucks. Chris is saying, yeah, maybe if somebody's watching it at a house where you happen to be, it might be okay to watch with, with others. Is that Get a fair way Netflix, to say it? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Netflix is okay. All right, Chris, that's our reviews. Let's move on to our final section of the show where we are going to do our uh, recommendations. So, for those of you who've never listened, what we do is, you know, Chris and I watch movies not just the new movies, but we're sometimes checking out older ones or maybe a newer one that has slipped through the cracks and we want to call some attention to, or a film that you can find online, especially now with Netflix and Hulu and Amazon, a lot of these places putting up original movies, we have a lot more to choose from. So each episode, we're going to bring up a kind of a recommendation we think you ought to check out. So Chris, what is your recommendation for this episode for our audience?
2: So I'm going to recommend a film that was just from 2017, One that I skipped because I was just like, you know what? This looks like something I've seen. Yeah. An action spy movie. I'm like, yeah, been there, done that. Well, action spy movie with a female as the lead. Oh, okay. That's a little different. Still wasn't interested in it. Well, let me tell you. Atomic Blonde by director David Leitch starring Charlize Theron. Um, I liked it. Really? Uh, Yeah. Wow. I did. Um, is it violent? Yes. You know, not a kid's movie. Obviously it's rated R. Um, and it does have a lot of, you know, obviously fighting and stuff like that, but just, it's very, the thing is, it's not just, you know, people getting their heads blown off. It's not that, I mean, there Mm -hmm. is violence, there is blood, but it's stylized. And that's, what's interesting about it is because it's a real slick stylized way of doing things. And David Leach did the John Wick movies. Okay. And uh, I didn't see the second one.
1: I didn't either, but I
2: did see the first one and right. I liked it. Yeah. And there again, I held off on seeing that because I'm like, I don't need to see another movie. It's like a Keanu
1: that. Reeves action movie. So, yeah. and it
2: was, it was really good and it had yeah. kind of a sense of humor to it. So basically this is like, I was saying on letterboxd, uh, it's kind of like Joanna wick. You know, Cause it's like the girl <laughs> visions of John is Str- right? Mm-hmm. Because that's what this kind of is. Um, it's, It's fun because there's some twists and things that happen in it. Um, The use of music because it takes place like kind of in the 80s. So it kind of has an 80s soundtrack to Mm -hmm. it. Um, Charlize Theron has this fight scene that is done to the soundtrack of Father Figure by George Michael. Oh, wow. That's amazing.
1: Wow. Okay.
2: (laughs) Um, And if you've seen the shot in the trailer you've seen a little bit of it with like the web. I think it's a, it's a hose or an extension cord that goes out of windows and yeah. kind of uses as like a big piece of rope. And like,
1: it's interesting
2: just, Oh, it's just, I'm it's actually now, of, I'm
1: now curious about it's this. One film. of my
2: favorite uses of music, uh, like a music type scene in a 2017 movie. Wow. So granted it's, you know, it's radar has five sure. sequences. If you don't like, you know, spy movies or action movies. Yeah. Don't check it out. But if you do and you pass on atomic blind, cause you feel like you yeah, have seen those movies over and over again, there's enough original stuff there. Hmm. Um, that it's, it's good. And James McAvoy also a very solid person. He's in the movie as well. Kind of, they work
1: together in the movie. Um, okay. it's just, it's good. So I, you know what? It's atomic got the Chris Fry seal of approval, man. I am, I'm ready. I'm <laughs> it on. Um, okay. Awesome. Not at all one. I expected you to recommend, but that's a great surprise. So mine is also a recent new movie. I think uh it does come online probably about the time you listen to this episode. I think it's going to be available online. It is a recent one. Uh it is one that was pretty much passed over during Oscar season, but I did have a chance to catch it out, check it out because I thought it was actually going to get some nominations and it ended up not. So it's Aaron Sorkin's Molly's Game. Okay. And I only bring it up because we haven't talked about it. I mean, it, it came out, it was Aaron Sorkin's, I think his Maybe this is his first movie he's directed. He wrote, directed Jessica Chastain and, and my man, Kevin Costner's in it. So that was all a little bit of a draw for me as well. It's um, the
2: gambling, it is life gambling. So rate. it's a true
1: story. Okay. It's a true story of Molly Bloom, who was an Olympic class skier, okay. okay. Who gets injured very early in the film. Uh, and so she can't ski anymore. And she instead, because she's really hard up for cash and just not able to make a living, kind of gets uh, indirectly involved in high stakes poker games through an employer she worked with. And she starts to learn the ropes and starts to develop her own series of high stakes poker games. And because of that, uh, it eventually causes her to get crossing into some illegal activities, sometimes unwittingly known to her sometimes by choice. And so the movie is told in a, split we see both flashbacks as she's telling her story and then we also have the modern day hmm. where she's going through courtroom scenes to deal with the crimes that she had committed okay. so interesting framework gotcha. uh, Jessica Chastain not an actress I'm always very enamored with I'm always feel like she's a little more of a one note actress hmm. but she plays this part perfectly I mean this is like the part made for her you okay. know um, here's the thing though Aaron Sorkin, I, you know, I don't know how familiar you are with his work. I mean, The West Wing, Sports Night, you social know, Social Network. Social Network. He wrote the screenplay for a lot of places. Uh, he's written a lot of screenplays. Uh, Moneyball. Did he write the screenplay for Moneyball? I believe, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Um, so Aaron Sorkin, you kind of have to be ready for his style of dialogue and storytelling. It's all very rapid fire dialogue. It's all, everybody in the scene has the most clever thing to say as a response to somebody else. I mean, it's just, it's constant one-liner, back and forth, quipping. you got to understand, people do not talk like this in real life. Okay, just like that's, they
2: don't talk like they do in the first 30 that's minutes of right. game night. I mean,
1: that's- I, about 30 minutes into Molly's game, I'm just like who talks how in the world do these people talk like this there's no way people are that quick and intelligent to say i
2: don't talk like that when you see me every day you're not like oh chris
1: Uh, is the aaron sorkin he is chris is the quipping left and right he just you know no it's just nobody does even people i know who are really funny nobody can think of these comments and things to say that quickly but once you get past that and you realize this is an over-exaggerated form of dialogue that he crams a lot more information into a script because of this kind of dialogue. Gotcha. Um, I liked the movie a lot. I thought it was really good. Surprisingly good. Like I did not expect to like it. I am a poker fan, so that it did actually get a lot into the nuance of playing poker, which I thought was always when you can go kind of geeky into a certain topic. I think it's always a good sign for a film. If if you're into it, Hmm. I think Jessica Chastain is really good. And Kevin Costner plays her father. Okay. He's not in it a lot. I will tell you though, there is a scene About two thirds of the way through the movie, a dialogue he and his daughter, Jessica Chastain, as Molly Bloom have in a park that tore me up. I mean, it was a very, very well done scene, very well done dialogue. uh, It starts out in a very typical Aaron Sorkin, back and forth, they're just having their little spat and they're having a little quip back and forth and they both know exactly the most clever thing to say in response to one another. But then it slows down and it lets him be real for a few minutes and whoo. It is good. So <laughs> okay. that alone probably will make me recommend this film but the button. price of admission it just for is. that scene. I definitely think it's worth checking out, but just as long as you can kind of get through and understand the Aaron Sorkin style of dialogue as being this very heightened version of dialogue. I think in general the story is interesting, the fact that it's a true story I think is fascinating. Um and it ends really really nicely. It's just got a great It's one of those I don't really not, normally walk away from movies saying that was a good ending, but this one I'm like, yep. They got it. That was the right ending to have right there, that scene. So um, I'll, I'll recommend it. I think it's good. Molly's Game should be online by mid-March, and we're recording this about mid-March. So about about the time you start hearing this, it should be available to rent on Amazon, iTunes, and so on. So, All right. So that's our recommendations, Atomic Blonde and Molly's Game. We both recommend checking out. Atomic Blonde is available now. Yes. Molly's Game should be available pretty close to the time you listen to this episode. Uh, they're both new films from 2017, 18 that we recommend checking out. All right, Chris, I think we're done. Three, three reviews. One extremely positive. One middling positive for both of us. And then the other one, a little more split. I'm still mildly positive on it. You a little less so. And that was phantom thread. It's two thumbs up, five stars from both of us. Um, Black Panther kind of middle review for us, but feel like it was a good movie, but just missed a lot of opportunities could have been so much better. And then we had a game night, which I thought was fun. Fine time at the movies. You, you felt a little less so. Um, So, and then our recommendations we already covered as well. Chris, if somebody listened to the show and said, you know what? I totally disagree with Chris about game night. (laughs) I'm going to tell him why it was better than the 1980s clue movie where should they vent that comment or discussion point to?
2: You should send an email to info at the mesh dot TV and mention for candle films in the subject line. And yeah, like Alan said, let us, let us know how I am wrong uh, or let us know an upcoming movie that you would like for us to review or, uh, you know, a movie that's come out that we may have skipped over that you'd like for us to touch on. Um, one of the things I've been doing a lot recently, there are a lot of releases coming out straight to Netflix. Um, so if there's one of those that you think would be a good subject for us to review, just uh, let us know.
1: Okay. Awesome. That's what you do. And As always, I mentioned to you on, on the mesh dot TV, our podcast network, you can check out back episodes, you can subscribe to the show. you can, Uh, Listen to other shows on the network, all available to you online at any time as well. Um, We do have our Foot Candle Film Festival that will be coming up in Western North Carolina in September of this year, September 28th through the 30th. We are in the midst of still accepting film uh, submissions for consideration at the festival. That will be going until June? June is the late deadline. June 2018. Which
2: is May, so Mm -hmm. you know
1: different My May, June in that time frame that's kind of when you got to have the films in if you're a filmmaker have made a film any form can be short film can be longer film can be documentary can animation. Be animation can be narrative music video even all, all of the above feel free to submit it in for us it's available through Film Freeway but you can also look at uh, our website uh, footcandlefilmfestival.com and that will also be where tickets will be available starting in about July. Okay. So with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Foot Candle Films. And we look forward to talking to you at the next episode.
2: See you in the ticket line.
0: Special thanks to Carpal Toller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Taller, visit www.carpeltaller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv discover other network shows, and give us feedback on what you just heard.